Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I'm your host, Amar Grigic, and today with me is uh, Phil Robinson. He is the CEO of Exact Software. Welcome, Phil. Thank you very much. Uh, no problem at all. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and also uh, about your background and how you got to work at Exact? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm a software entrepreneur, I guess. You call me that. I've worked in software all my life. I did a computer science degree in the 1980s and went to work for a company called Oracle in the Bay Area in California. I've spent a lot of time between living in the States and living in the UK and eventually ended up as a CEO of a software company in the UK, um, which I left uh, three or four years ago and was looking for a new opportunity. And uh, it came along in the form of Exact, which was looking for a CEO in the summer of 2017. So that's how I come to be living in the Netherlands and working for Exact. Yeah, what, what spoke to you about Exact? Uh to be exact. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I think it's a great business. I mean, if you look at it and what it does, um, it provides financial software for SMEs uh, to allow them to manage their money and their finances. Um, it's continued to do well for many years. It's been a business that's been in the Netherlands for 35 years. It's a very Dutch business. Um, and it's an intrinsic part of the economy. It runs the finances of over 440,000 small businesses with 7,000 accountants. Yeah. And uh, 18,500 medium-sized companies too. So um, it's, it's, it's part of the fabric of the, the Netherlands and Belgium. Uh, and there's an opportunity with the development of technology for the future, including things like machine learning and AI, to continue to do more for our customers as we grow over the next few years. So I felt like there was a big opportunity to continue to take a business which was good and doing well and continue to grow it for the future and build value for our customers. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so uh, we're a client as well. Okay, <laughs> I get, I glad to hear that. Uh, we, we switched. We had a different uh, package before, but uh, then we switched and we uh, because it was uh, tightly integrated with our CRM as well, because that was uh, very okay. important to us uh, to, to kind of make that flow work better, of course, where you just have a client and add the invoice and it will be sent out and it will be handled. And that's uh, that was uh, our main thing. We were like, okay, it needs to be tightly integratable with what we are doing mm-hmm. right now. Um, so I, I, want to, I want to get to a little bit of uh, how, it, how life as a CEO looks like, uh, because that uh, I think is, uh, is interesting to, for a lot of people to, to know. So uh, being a CEO for a company like Exact, uh, how does a typical day look like? I, I can imagine that not uh, every day looks different, of course, but sure. uh, how, does, how does it look like for you? Well, every day is, is different. <laughs> um, I get up about 6, 6.30. I do some yoga and stretch, have some breakfast, get to the office by about 8.30, 9 o'clock. And then the day could be a number of things. It could be meeting with our colleagues or my management team and talking about our plans for the future. It could be meeting our employees and understanding their needs and what they're thinking about and how they think about the business. It could be meeting customers or even investors. So every day is a little bit different, but you're talking to different sorts of stakeholders, our employees, our investors, or our customers, and making sure you um, meet all of their needs and we deliver value to customers to grow the business. Yeah, exactly. So... Um uh, looking at that role, because uh, I, a lot of people are, are like, okay, a CEO, uh, you're de facto the kind of boss, quote unquote. I mean, yeah. it, it, it is like that. Uh, 
what what do you think is the most important thing that you need to do within within a company so what what that that role has of course uh you, you're leading the company you need to of course have that those kind of conversations with your people and stuff like that but um what do you feel is like the m- most important quality that you uh, need to bring as a ceo i think trust is the most important thing trust yeah so uh you know i was a new ceo to this company just over two years ago two two years and three months ago and if you're arriving as the new guy, nobody knows who you are and you have no track record. Mm. And the thing that you really need to do for all of your employees and subsequently your customers is establish trust. And the way to do that is to be open and honest and consistent. So whenever I talk to our employees, I say, you ask me a question mm. and I'll always answer you. Um, sometimes you might not like the answer, but I'll always be clear and consistent and honest about what I'm telling you or, or what the question was. Mm. And I think that's the way you establish trust. And I also think that um, it helps the rest of our team and the company to establish the same sorts of approach to running the business, to remove politics, to be clear with each other, to understand and trust one another, to build a culture that's more empowering of our employees and delivers value to each of them in their daily lives as they come to work. Yeah. And ultimately, we all do that so that we can drive value to our customers. Yeah, I've noticed that myself when, uh, or actually when I started out as a kind of team lead as well, where I had a team that was, I wouldn't say demoralized, but they they uh, were micromanaged before, and it was a little bit hard on uh, on them as well and on myself because I was in that team before that, and then I needed uh, I became the team lead, and I needed to uh, to see how to how to get people motivated again to to do their to do their job, and I, actually one of the first things I did was like. You're all here for a reason, right? You all have this kind of role that you have within the company, and I'm like, okay, please, uh, please do your job in the sense of, uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. I'm going to let you do your job and try and kind of get all the obstacles out of the way to, so you can do it. I think there's a difference between managing and leading. Yeah. So somebody who's a manager will tell people what to do and how to do it. Exactly. If you're leading, you're setting a direction and a context and a framework and empowering people to follow that lead in the best way they see fit. Yeah. And there's a big difference between those two things. Yeah. And as a business grows from maybe a small startup where you've got a handful of people where you are involved in every decision in detail, mm. as the business gets bigger and bigger, eventually is more successful with, you know, exact, we've got 1,500 people now. Um, you can't be involved in everything. You can't, you, have, you can't manage that. <laughs> you can't manage that. So you have to lead. You have to lead by example, by establishing trust, by being clear, but creating an environment that people feel motivated and energized by to want to do the best work they can hmm. within the within the strategy and the vision that you've painted for the for the company. Yeah. So to get to that strategy and vision, because that's a, that's something that I'm always interested in, in uh, from my perspective, as you said. Uh, I, th- I feel like a leader should clearly set out that strategy and vision uh, so other people can see it. And also, of course, they, they have to show that they kind of support that strategy and vision, of course, because you're, it's your strategy and vision maybe or whatever. I think it's not as important as not just the CEO's vision. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's just mine alone, why, why would, <laughs> that doesn't help. Yeah. Why would everybody else buy into that? So, yeah. uh, you know, in our company... We sort of did a little bit of a strategic reset in the middle of 2017, and we developed a new vision for the company, but that was a collaborative approach. We got a group of people together, there were about 25 to 30 people in the room, which were our more senior managers, sure. and we collaboratively together over the course of two days established our new direction and vision for the company, 
and uh, within that, the methods we were going to use to achieve those goals and the way we'd measure whether we'd achieve them. Yeah. So we use a, a structure we'd call a V2 mom. It's something I learned at salesforce.com when I was in the Silicon Valley. And this structure, this V2 mom, is just a tool to collaboratively define where you're going as a company for the future. And so it was, it's not my vision. It's, it's our yeah, collective vision. It's our collective approach. We all agree the direction we're going in. Yeah, yeah. So how, how do you measure that? Because that, that's, uh, I think that feels for me that like the hardest thing to do to actually measure if uh, what, you're set, what you set out to do as a vision or whatever, if that's actually working. How, how do you measure that? I think there's lots of tools you can use and methods, you, approaches you can use. We've yeah. chosen this particular tool. As I said, it was something that came about through salesforce.com. Yeah, sure. And um, we have a vision which we define and we look at it every year and say, is this still correct for us? Is this still the direction we're going in or do we need to modify it? And within that vision, we have a series of values. So the values support the vision. And for each value, we have a set of methods, obstacles and measurements. So mm. the methods say, what are we going to do to establish this value? And the measurements say, how have we done? Are we, are we doing, making progress? So we look at that every year and say, okay, how do we deal with the methods and measurements? because we can actually measure them yeah. and say, do we make progress in this particular value or this particular method or not? If we didn't, is it still relevant? Uh, if it is, how do we define it for the following 12 months? How do we think about it going forwards? We've not made the progress perhaps we would have liked. Do we need to put more effort in? Mm. Do we need to slightly change it a little bit? But we've yeah. got a sort of an approach where we, we come back and review this vision and this strategy every year and look at the detail beneath it. And interestingly enough, it's been really well embraced inside Exact. That cascades down the company. So each department has their own B2MOM, which, which is from the company one. And then for each t ma management team, they'll have a department and each department has their own down to individuals. So it's a cascading effect, which means that everybody in the company can be aligned yeah. to the vision of the company and know how you fit in and what you're doing, delivering value to the overall direction that we're going in. Yeah, and that that seems like the the hardest thing to do. I think I feel like is uh, especially when you have this large a group of people, right? Where you have like fifteen hundred people mm -hmm. uh, to still have that individual know what the vision is and what what you're doing it for, right? And that's I think the as you said that if you have that cascading effect, you can actually have that because usually it kind of it swarms around. Sometimes it's even hard in a in a company of ten people to to get the vision right. Uh, where if you ask everyone individually, they'll give another answer every time, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's the that's the I think the 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 yeah the interesting part about it is if you can actually do that with within this big of a company. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, you had you talked a little bit about the kind of strategy reset. So uh, how did that come about? I think that's interesting to to know. So uh, the company had been trading on the stock exchange until 2014-15. Mm. It was taken private by a private equity investor called Apex Partners. And one of the uh, platforms for growth that the company had was to take an incredible amount of success we've had here locally with a cloud product, mm -hmm. which is for smaller businesses and their accountancy providers which, as I said, has sort of 440,000 SMEs on it which today. Which is a lot. <laughs> is a lot. Uh, and try and replicate that success in other markets. So invest in building a unit or a team in the UK and in France in Germany and Spain. So the idea would well, you multiply that effect. Of course, yeah. And so 
part of the vision was we were going to, you know, under the previous CEO, we were going to be this global provider of bookkeeping technology, which is a really big goal and a great vision to have. For sure, yeah. But we'd invested heavily in these other four markets. And the very thing that makes us successful locally, which is strong market presence, high brand awareness, um, you know, companies, a large number of companies using your technology, product leadership, some of those characteristics we didn't have in some of those other markets. In fact, there'll be stronger competitors that have been there for a number of years, which represent a barrier to entry. Exactly. And so whilst we were investing really heavily in building the team and doing marketing and sales support and, and engineering our products for those markets, we didn't see the revenue growth that we would have liked. So it was a loss-making endeavor for a number of years. And uh, I guess there was a point at which the investors decided they wanted to take a different approach, middle of 2017, which is why they hired me to come and help them. And what we did is decided what we wanted to be as a company was not a global provider of bookkeeping, but a national champion here locally in providing technology to SMEs. Mm. So it's sort of a 180 degree twist from where we were. Sure. But focusing on the things that make us unique and strong locally, we have a really strong brand awareness, strong market presence, everyone knows exact, and lots of companies use us. So there's more we can sell, we can sell to existing customers and there's actually more market to go for locally. Mm. So we want to be this national champion provider here in the Benelux, which is probably a lower risk endeavor than trying to be in lots of countries at the same time, yeah. investing in all those countries. And we think it represents an opportunity for continue to grow the business uh, today, from where we are at about 240 million euros of revenue to doubling in size in the next five years. And yeah. uh, interestingly enough, 2018 was a really fantastic year for the company. Uh, having made that switch in 2017, 2018, we grew by 14%. Um, and we got a lot of interest from investors to to want to invest in the business and buy the business from the previous owners, which were Apex. And so February this year, we sold the business to a new PE owner which is KKR. Mm-hmm. So KKR is now the, the owner of Exact, um, which supports the team, supports the strategy, and is investing in helping us to get to be a 500 million euro revenue business by being this national champion provider here in the Benelux. Yeah. And a lot of people, uh, or uh, when I think about it, a lot of people would say that it's kind of, um, uh, that you're kind of setting up boundaries in the sense uh, of, real growth right a mm-hmm. lot of p- people or a lot of investors would say as as you already mentioned uh, try and get to as much countries as possible just to get even more customers and even more revenue mm-hmm. uh, but they also forget that uh, as you said there is already people in or other companies in that market uh, in other in other countries of course and that's so hard to do to actually get as a new kid on the block if you can call it like that exactly. to get that that market share that you want to have um, and that's that's uh, what I was wondering about is, um, do you feel that uh, maybe that's still some possibility later on uh, if you actually get to that that status that you want to have right here? Never say never. Yeah. But uh, for now, our strategy is firmly based around the Benelux. Yeah, exactly. Um, we think there's a big target addressable market to mm-hmm. serve more customers with more technology, managing their finances and their money in small and medium enterprises. So we're, we're about to launch a new, a new suite of products. There's a whole load of people in the Netherlands, as an example, we think there's 600,000 businesses who are never going to use a bookkeeping software. Maybe they don't understand general ledgers and they don't understand a double-entry bookkeeping, yeah. and they don't want to. Maybe yeah. I'm a 
really successful florist or a builder or a decorator. And all I want to do is send out my invoices and get paid. I want something really beautifully, beautifully easy and simple to use that allows me to collect my payments from my customers and behind the scenes sends that information perhaps to my accountant who does all the work for me. Yeah, exactly. So there's a range of new tools and products which maybe we haven't even thought of before that cater to a broader and broader range of SMEs in different circumstances. Yeah. So we think there's a massive opportunity and a massive market that allows us to continue to grow for many years to come without really having to think about the international markets. Exactly. Yeah. But never say never, but for now we're focused locally. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, when I look at it, um, I have a kind of one-person business myself, uh, and I never thought as exact as something that i would use as uh, my tool for kind of bookkeeping and stuff like that i use moneybird for uh, just to clarify but uh, it um what did you change what made you change well i i used moneybird all the all the time so i've started with with just using that uh, not uh, exact or whatever I, I didn't even consider it as an option which is mm-hmm. a little bit strange maybe but uh, uh they really focus on these kind of really small enterprises mm-hmm. right and that's uh, maybe the maybe the difference between uh, between them so i knew that i didn't know exact as kind of a an option for me as a one person business in that sense so uh but i mean that i think that the especially when you look at in the netherlands there are a lot of people that are doing that right where they're just one person companies freelancers sure. or whatever and they they uh, could really benefit from that i think uh, because what what uh, I like about the product that I'm using right now, uh, not to stray away f- too far from it, but uh, it, it it does all the kind of heavy lifting for me, as you said, uh, where yeah. uh, just uh, doing the kind of uh, the, the taxes and stuff like that, all the reports come out of it. So, so there's a group of vendors out there um, yeah. that try to make bookkeeping as simple as possible, sort of dumbed down bookkeeping, yeah, yeah. which is a great thing to do and, and caters to the needs of some customers. But there's also a whole category which is not even bookkeeping. Yeah. yeah which is sure. just simple invoicing, simple expense management, and have somebody in the back office, your accountant, do the rest for you. And that's sort of what we're, we're thinking about as our next endeavor in terms of opportunity for growth. Yeah, I can imagine that's a, that's a big pool of people <laughs> yeah. that are just like, oh, I just get this invoice, I'll just put it on my pile of invoices. And I have like folders of, uh, that, uh, that I keep just for the safekeeping of, uh, of my invoices, but I don't use a digital system at all. Or, um, and I just do my, my taxes like that. So... Uh, what I wanted to uh, talk about a little bit more as well is uh, you're you're British, uh, yeah. and um, uh, it's maybe a, a different topic, but I, I would like to know your kind of opinion on it. But uh, th- there's of course the whole Brexit thing, and everybody knows about it. Uh, but uh, how do you look at that from your standpoint? How, how does that? Uh, how do you think that will? Th- does it affect your business? Or uh, of course you're local now, but how how do you see that that changing with the? Well, I'm personally. Pro, pro-European, pro-Remain. So I sure. much prefer that we weren't leaving the EU, but it appears at this point that we probably will be quite soon. Yeah. Um, for exact, um, there's no direct uh, uh, impact on our business. We have a relatively small presence in the UK. Yeah. Uh, focusing locally uh, means that we don't have exposure to international markets as much as we used to. Um, the, uh, the only way that it might impact us is if Brexit or other factors send the economy into, into uh, recession in, in the Netherlands. 
But at the moment, the, the economy is doing well, yeah. or appears to be doing well, and, and we're doing pretty well alongside that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm also kind of, uh, I, I would love for, for kind of Great Britain to stay in the European Union. I think um, it's making a lot of problems that you just uh, weren't like, you're waiting, you weren't waiting for that, right? You weren't like, okay, let's just leave the European Union and make all kinds of uh, problems and stuff like that. I think that uh, it would be, Good if it if Great Britain stayed, but as you said, I, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> it doesn't. No, look and like I've it done my own personal Brexit, right? I'm, yeah, I'm, I moved to the. Yeah, you've you've moved, of course. So uh, that's that's the thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, it it is uh, it is something that I hope uh, will will end up okay for everybody. I mean, uh, yeah, I there's think. a lot of companies that do have a, a problem with uh, with this whole Brexit thing. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would. Uh, Talk a bit, a lot of. We've talked a lot about the kind of business side, uh, but I want to get to a little bit more personal. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, I think it's very important to talk about this. But uh, you, uh, you, kind of came out with uh, the 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 thing that you you made a video about you having Parkinson's disease, uh, and uh, how. Uh, it, it hit a lot of news vendors, by the way. <laughs> we, we've talked about the video that you made. It has like 50 or 60,000 views. Uh, and how, how, how was that? How was that kind of process like for you to, to, to actually tell this thing uh, to, to, to the world? Uh, because if you have 50 or 60,000 people watching, it's not just the Netherlands, I think. Uh, how, how was that for you? How was this whole process like for you? I felt like it was really important to share my story mm. because as a CEO, I have a platform that allows me to communicate to a, to a broader audience than most people would have if they had Parkinson's. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that we could explain to people uh, what the disease was and what it's not. Uh, because actually, there's sort of a stigma attached to this disease where people, when you think about Parkinson's, you think about someone's quite old who's shaking and probably not physically capable of working. Yeah. And as a consequence of that image that people conjure up in their minds, um, there's, they, people generally don't come out and talk about Parkinson's until much later in their disease. So they carry this lie around with them, and it's a sort of a lonely place to be where you're suffering from a chronic illness but can't tell anybody, and you're worried that if you do tell people, you'll be prejudiced at work or maybe miss a promotion or be fired or not be able to continue your career. And actually, that's not the case at all. Actually, most people with Parkinson's until perhaps the later stages are very physically capable of doing their jobs and continuing forwards. And so I wanted to share my story at this point to make sure people could understand that actually uh, we can change the image of this disease. And for many people, although um, they've got a chronic illness, they can continue to be fully functional human beings and have a great life in the meantime. Mm. Um, so that's why I chose to tell my story right now. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's two years ago. So I've carried, for me personally, I've carried that around with me on my own for, for, for a fair amount of time. But as I got confident about what the disease was and what the disease wasn't and did my own research, I felt like, you know, now was the time to tell people, actually, it's okay to talk about this. Yeah. Because we need to change the image of the disease so people don't. Uh, feel stigmatized or or disadvantaged by by it. Yeah, and uh, how were the how were the kind of reactions to that to that video? Because I think um, 
of course when you when you do this kind of thing and you uh, announce it uh, like really uh, really big within the company of course mm-hmm. um how do people react to it how, how what were kind of the reactions that you got Hu- hugely positive mm. i mean i don't think i had a single negative comment um i'm very supportive so i feel like perhaps i should have said this sooner because <laughs> yeah. actually it's not such it's not such a terrible thing to have shared people felt that they they were happy that i shared it with them they were very supportive of what i was doing um our employees now understand if i walk a bit slowly some days in the office or seem a bit stiff why that might be um i also got to talk to a lot of people with parkinson's so they could be uh, in many instances people with parkinson's that haven't shared their news yet and, and are trying to figure out how they should share it or whether they should even share it with other people because they're concerned about their role and the job and their work um and i also got to meet people that have had parkinson's longer than me so they've been on this journey longer than i have and that's actually a source of inspiration for me because i can talk to them about what's next and what should i expect and where am i going on my journey over the next few years they already went through it of course so you you can you can share that and um uh, so could you, in your own words, just explain about what it is? Because a lot of people don't know what Parkinson's disease is at all. Sure, there's a, a, a portion of your brain. It's a neuro, neurodegenerative disease. There's a portion of your brain called the substantia nigra that is responsible for producing dopamine. And dopamine is the chemical that is used by your brain to send signals to your body to get it to move. Mm. So uh, if, you've got, if your um, substantia nigra begins to die off, which is what happens with people with Parkinson's, and your brain therefore produces less dopamine, you're less in control of your movement and functions of your body under control of your brain. And that's es- essentially what happens in Parkinson's. Um, so uh, slowly but surely, there's less dopamine available in your brain, and the symptoms progress and become more severe over time. Mm. And... Uh, because I think there is, um, I think Michael J. Fox has that as well, right? That's uh, right. He has also, and he has has his own foundation, which is also doing a lot of research within uh, mm-hmm. within this field to to kind of uh, try and uh, mitigate the. I think the I think um, most people think about shaking yeah, because exactly yeah. that's the physical side of it that people can see. Yeah, uh, I don't shake at all, mm-hmm. and many people don't, and for many years, there's about thirty or forty different symptoms that. Um, come with Parkinson's and every sufferer has a unique combination of yeah. those symptoms. Yeah. So uh, it, since everyone's different, it's quite a difficult disease to pin down in terms of a cure, but there's lots of research going on right now to look for a cure for Parkinson's. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm hopeful that we'll make a breakthrough in a few years. Yeah. And uh, for, for me personally, it has, a, it has a effect on me as well when I, when I talk about this, because my grandfather had, uh, had Parkinson's as well. Um, and when I heard about it the first time, I was like, what even is that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't realize what, uh, what kind of disease it is, uh, because I didn't hear about it before, never saw anyone with it. Uh, and... Um, and then you kind of see the kind of effects that some it has on someone. Uh, that's hard. It's hard to it's hard to see that. But on the other hand, he was all much later in life than you are, mm-hmm. of course. He was uh, uh, late sixties, uh, early seventies. Um, but uh, I can imagine when you heard about that, how how uh, how did that come about? So how how did you even get to get to the diagnosis at all? 
It's a funny story. So I, I'm a bit of a runner. I like running. I did the 2013 London Marathon. Mm, cool. And that, so shortly after that, I sort of started getting stiffness in my left shoulder when I was running. And I would get to a mile and a half every time I was running the same route, the same place, outside Regent's Park mm. in London. And it would start to get stiff. And it would get stiffer and stiffer and more tired and more tired. And then start to move in a funny way. And so I tried all sorts of things to find out what it was and get it fixed. So I ended up with a shoulder specialist who did surgery on my shoulder. Um, That didn't fix it. I had um, injections in my neck because there was a concern that it was a referred pain from my neck. I think C3, C4 on your spine. Exactly, yeah. So I had a procedure on my spine to see if that would fix it. That didn't fix it. Hmm. I had a lot of physio. I did nerve tests. I did all sorts of things to try and find out what was wrong with my shoulder. Nothing seemed to make any difference. And finally, after about four or five years, the physio said, I think it could be neurological. Um, and, and sometimes what happens with your, with your brain is it sends a, a modified signal to your joint if it's in trauma to try and protect it. And he thought that perhaps that was happening with me. And you could go see a neurologist and he'd help you through that process to get the brain to send the right signal. I went to see a neurologist and I think within about 30 seconds, he knew what was wrong with me. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, after all that time, yeah, right? So yeah. uh, that's frustrating. Um, but he made me do, a, uh, uh, there's something called a DAT scan, which scans your brain and, subs- and, and scans this part of your brain called the substantia nigra to see if it's dying off or not. And mine was and diagnosed Parkinson's, which was the last thing on my mind when I went to see him. All I was yeah, trying to do was fix my shoulder so I could run longer. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, I had a Parkinson's diagnosis, That's which crazy. was just over two years ago. Yeah, I can imagine that... Um you, you don't think about that, of course, when, when it's just uh, so, some pain in your shoulder or stiffness in your shoulder. Why would that be the brain, right? <laughs> it, exactly. Usually people are like, okay, this must be something with the muscle or wh- whatever that, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of making this, uh, this kind of stiffness appear. And yeah, I, I, that's, that's the, the, the strange thing about the human body is that you, it, it, uh, Everything's linked together, right? In some kind of way, and uh, and in this case, it's it's the brain. That's something that, I, I, as you said, I wouldn't even think about it if I had that, right? If I had some numbness in my leg or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole range of other things with Parkinson's that are also controlled by your brain. So people with Parkinson's, for instance, have can have problems with their gut and their stomach and constipation because this this lack of movement is also lack of movement of your internal organs as well. So it could be a problem with digestion. Can be a problem with your eyes, which you know the blinking of your eyes and the way your eye your eyes move optically to to be able to see things. Yeah, it can be uh, a whole range of things to do with your also to do with your brain. You maybe get headaches and neck aches and strains. Could be that you uh, become um, depressed, is what I was talking about. Yeah, so depressed. depression is also a, a symptom of Parkinson's. So there's all sorts of things that, that people don't know about. Yeah. As I said, there's thirty or forty of them, and they're all things, as you say. Are, controlled by your brain and they're yeah. actually other parts of your body yeah, yeah that yeah. you would never have imagined would have any effect in terms of a chemical that's released from your brain yeah but it is so uh, how does it kind of affect you right now uh, within the kind of day-to-day life because life goes on <laughs> well, me- well first of all medications incredibly powerful mm. these days so we're living in an age where the the, the pharmaceutical industry is rising to the challenge of helping people with Parkinson's live more normal lives. So with the right medication, with 
good diet with exercise, which is incredibly important for people with Parkinson's and good rest, you can live at my stage of the disease at least pretty normal life. Mm. Um, I do get a little more tired than most people, so the weekend I sleep more than, than most. <laughs> um, and uh, but otherwise, you most people wouldn't wouldn't know. I have a problem with my d- digestive system in particular, so I have to be careful what I eat to make yeah. sure that I can continue to consume the right nutrients and food. Um, my at the moment, I've got uh, pain down my left side, which, as I said, started in my shoulder, but it's now in my in my ankle and my leg and my hip as well. Oh, so okay. it tends to be one side of your brain that goes first, if That's you like, yeah. and it moves to the other side eventually. So you end up with both sides. But at the beginning, it tends to be one side or the other. And for me, it's my left side. Okay. Um, so I'm beginning to, um, with my running, beginning to get injured actually at the moment with my, with my Achilles, which has been injured a couple of times this year. And I'm trying at the moment some orthotics in my shoe mm. to try and even out my gait and my balance as I run to avoid injury in my Achilles and my calf. So you've got, to, you've got to be careful, but at the same time, I, I do know that exercise is incredibly important for people with Parkinson's. So as I said, I do yoga and spinning and running and be active and be outdoors because yeah. um, that actually helps to sort of try and slow down the progression over time. Yeah, and that's something that um, uh, was also said to my grandfather as well where he was like you need to move more right you mm-hmm. need to you got the exercise bike in, in inside of the house just to get that uh, get that stimulant i think uh, to to keep moving and but uh, the further it progressed of course it's still harder and harder to do that of course you it can be really difficult because yeah. you might wake up some days and feel completely unmotivated yeah. to exercise because of the disease yeah. but the very fact that you feel unmotivated is the reason why you need to exercise yeah, so exactly. it's sort of a, <laughs> it's a little bit vicious circle there it's a little bit of a vicious circle but it is it is super important yeah yeah so you uh, also started a website uh, yeah and uh, maybe you could tell a little bit about that yeah it's called uh, stirred not shaking um, i think i'm stirred into action to talk it's about nice. this disease and my story but i'm not shaking and a lot of people don't shake so I want to change, as I said, the image of the disease to, so people understand more of what's going on with people with Parkinson's and understand that I've, as an example, uh, been a CEO for two years and I think the companies continue to be successful with me running it. And you, anyone can actually, for many years, have Parkinson's and have successful careers. So I want to use the website to help people become educated on what the disease is and what it isn't and talk about what you can do with Parkinson's, not what you can't do. Exactly. So it's a really positive, hopefully a positive story of success that people can take a look at if they've got Parkinson's or they know somebody that has and help them to understand their, their journey and how they can be successful at work and make sure that they tell their colleagues and they don't hide it as a secret. Yeah. And they're not, they're, they're not prejudiced against at work because people have a better appreciation of what the disease really is. Do, do you feel it's still... Um, it's still not a taboo but it's still kind of um hard for people you, you mentioned that uh, a few times but uh, do you f- feel like there's still like a really big portion of people that don't tell uh, anyone else yes yeah. i mean from just from the the messages i've had since i went public or came out yeah um a huge number of people with parkinson's are terrified that if they tell people publicly they'll lose their job yeah. Because the, in, the initial reaction of their boss will be, this person's not capable of doing their job, they've got Parkinson's, yeah. and they'll find a way to get rid of them. 
Even and though that's maybe years down the line. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely years down the line. And yeah. that's the challenge because people, are, you know, if you try and do a Google search on Parkinson's, yeah. you'll find a whole list of resources around people that are in their older age yeah, that, that are shaking yeah. and are more progressed. There's very little information for younger people that have Parkinson's who suffer this in a different way. So, I, you know, perhaps I can balance that out a little bit by making yeah. some of this information available publicly. Yeah, because you're sharing your stories, right? Your personal yeah. stories of how uh, it has affected you, how you've gotten... Because I've read the, the, one of the articles where you uh, actually talked about getting the diagnosis as well and what, what that... There, there were some stories in there where, where I was like, okay, you, there were, with the, the whole shaving of uh, your, uh, your shoulder as well, uh, th th those are those are like real stories where people can see what someone has to go through to get to that diagnosis as well, because it's not, as you said, not totally apparent uh, at no. first, and that uh, that's the that's the thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's really important to to share that. I think it's really important to 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 share that um, you 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 can still live with this. It's not like you need to stop living uh, all of a sudden because you because you had that. No, it's not a death sentence. No. So no. you know you can either decide to to use it, you know as a, as a platform. You can either decide to use it for positive, exactly, and yeah. go out and do all that you possibly can while you can still physically do it, or you can use it as a constraining factor and it gets in the way of everything you do. And I personally would rather do all the things I, I want to do. And live for today, not tomorrow, yeah. and have a great life doing it. Before at some point in the future, and I don't know when that is. It may be five years away, maybe twenty-five years away. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. In the meantime, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. can. Yeah. Yeah. So how uh, how often do you think about it a lot? Like, is it something that you like think about on a daily basis, or does that go away, go away a little bit when you're thinking about it like this, like the um, positive side? I want to think about it when I wake up in the morning because yeah. I have some tablets to take. Yeah. And I think about it when I'm taking tablets during the day. But between those points, if it's under control, mm. and mostly it is, then, yeah, I just continue doing the job I was always doing. And, you know, I might go for a run or go, go skiing or yeah, do all exactly. these physical things that people would imagine people with Parkinson's can't do, but they absolutely can. Yeah. Uh, and continue to do it for many years to come. Yeah, as I said, uh, I, uh, we've talked about this a little bit before we started, but I had uh, Niels von Buren, which was, uh, it, which is an MS patient, is a totally different thing, of course, but um, is he actually climbed Mount Everest and uh, all, did all kinds of things where people would be like, how do you even do that, right? Even uh, like uh, a, a person that doesn't have a disease can't even do that, right? And I think that's, uh, I think that's inspiring to, for other people to see. Uh, and I, I, I uh, like that uh, there's still more and more people that are showing like th these diseases are not something that are going to totally bring you out of the game or do anything like that right where you can just mm -hmm. uh, you need to you need to stay that i think that positivity helps as well uh, where where it will help you also mitigate a little bit of the factors of course that you have with a with a disease like this as well positive thinking is usually important yeah i yeah. mean that's always the case anyway but in particular the case if you've got something like this as a disease yeah um and living for today not tomorrow yeah i have two more questions before we wrap up uh, so how do you kind of see the future uh, now? So how do you see the future for yourself, but also for Exact? Well, I think the, the, the prospects for the company are really positive. We have a new investor. Mm. We've got a, a strong management team. 
We've got a strong organization with 1,500 committed employees who are delivering amazing technology for small businesses. Um, so I feel hugely confident that we'll continue to do well as a company with the strategy that we have. And hopefully we get to that 500 million euro mark in terms of size and growth over the next five years. So I feel good about the business and what we're doing. And personally, um, you know, I remain the CEO and committed to the company and the business and helping it succeed. But I want to also balance my time in the business with doing some things outside of work that I might have otherwise had to do later. So some traveling and some some personal development things I want to do. I've just bought a house in Hampshire in the UK. I want to, with my wife, we're going to renovate the house over the next few months. Um, and do lots of other things that every everyday or ordinary normal people do. Yeah. Um, alongside working and and building a great company. Yeah, a lot of people, uh, me included as well, is like, oh, I'll do that later, right? <laughs> I'll 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 travel to that place later, or I'll go the, through that. The thing is, that nobody knows what's around the corner. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So you don't know what's going what what I don't know. the future yeah. holds for you and whoever we talk to, um, they don't know either and. Uh, therefore, I feel like it's really important, no matter, no matter how old you are, to embrace life and do the, the, the most you can to get the greatest experience you can out of it. Exactly. And my final question. Yeah. Uh, usually, the hardest part for people to 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 answer. But uh, what are you uh, kind of most proud of since you started this whole journey? And of course, the journey is exact in this case. I'm proud of the team that we've got at the company and the employees. Mm. Um, I'm proud of all the things that they do to build what I think is a really successful business. And we do that by understanding our customers' needs and delivering them through our technology. So I'm super proud of all of the people that work for the company and they together represent a huge opportunity for future success. I'm proud of that. I'm really proud that I decided that I'd come out of the closet um, with Parkinson's. I think I could have waited longer. Nobody would have known for a while. Yeah. But actually, I sort of feel somewhat personally liberated. It was like coming to work with a lie every day. You couldn't tell people what was really going on in your head, yeah. what was going on in your life. And now I can. I, people now know exactly what's going on with me. And I feel uh, just a whole weight off my shoulders, uh, which is a good feeling. And I think also allows me to personally be successful doing the things I want to do outside of work as well. Yeah, and a lot of people should do that as well, where uh, they don't have that feeling anymore uh, of uh, of bringing that to work. Um, so, uh, Phil, thanks a lot. Thank uh, you. It was a very inspiring story from my side. I'm uh, I'm very grateful that you came to share your story as well. Uh, and I hope a lot of people will uh, will keep uh, looking at your blog or your website and see. Uh, all the amazing stories uh, about the positivity of this uh, of this disease. Thank uh, you. It was a real, a real pleasure. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Um, and of course, your website is stirrednotshaking.com. Yeah. Uh, so people can check that out. I'll put it in the in the links as well. Uh, and Exact is of course on exact.com. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for the listeners, uh, you can find the Bits vs Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com. And also, of course, on uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and Instagram, it's all Bits vs Bytes. And I have a newsletter uh, where I share uh, five things about uh, business uh, leadership and technology every two weeks. Um, and you can find that on bitsvsbytes.com newsletter. And I would like to thank you for listening. And until next time. Bye.